This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of NRL Boom Rookies. My name is Matt Bungard, alongside me, no Mitch Doyle, no Dale Roots. Instead we have the Lester to my Bart Simpson, the the Flexo to my Bender, the uh, Shadow Link to my Link. It's Nick Campton, hello. You me until Shadow Link. <laughs> Lester and Flexo are two great balls <laughs> from you. The other Shadow Link, no thank you. A- any form of link you just resent, really. Well, I kind of have to. And that is kind of why we're here. A um, little uh, festive special for you guys. We'll be doing um, uh, a couple, couple of podcasts together uh, tonight. You'll hear one one tomorrow and, and one a couple of days after that. Roughly when, don't know. But uh, yeah, so we will be... Uh, you know, as two men who often disagree on very trivial things, we thought as, what <laughs> as two takesmen, two two masters yeah. of the art, yeah. if I may. Yeah. Um yeah, we often disagree on things that don't really matter. So we thought what better time than the week before Christmas to uh sort of delve into some of those issues. Uh we asked uh the listeners to uh, get in touch and um give us some sort of takes to debate, uh things things to talk about. Uh but for, I, I I suppose we should get to the, the genesis of the the, the, the Bungard Camden take rivalry. It stretches long back. I mean I early didn't listeners know we of had the... a genesis. I thought we were just friends who became take masters along the way. Well, but, um, it's, it's... I had no idea this was such a big part of our creation. Well, er, well, early listeners will know that it stretches back to when Mitch pitted us against each other in, in trivia the first well, day we yes. met. Well uh, do we really want to go into that now um, about how I won and you beat didn't you? win. It's um, literally on the tape. Like, there's literally a yeah. existing audio record of me beating you. Nah, and, we said it at and, the same time. And dear listeners, he has never been able to accept it or let it go, and it's quite unbecoming. It's fine. I'm just giving the, the punters some background. It's a lot of people might not have listened to us back in 2016, 2017, whatever that was. But anyway, uh, we are here to sort of just uh, debate a few issues that you guys have sent in. Um, and yeah, so first of all, uh, we've got one... From uh, and we might not necessarily disagree, which makes it all the more exciting. Well, we yes, just, uh, that's what happens when when you enter the take dome. You know, you know sometimes two men enter, one man leaves. Sometimes the two men leave together. because yeah. they're best friends. It's like racism is bad. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, bang, there you go. There you go. There's one, one <laughs> down, four to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Appreciate the, appreciate the person who sent that one. Yeah. All right. So first question is from Simo. He just not really a question. Just wants us to discuss Carmichael Hunt specifically the Broncos years. Okay. So this is one of Simo's long running bits where he says Carmichael Hunt's the best fullback in the galaxy slash universe because Carmichael Hunt was the incumbent Queensland fullback and was never displaced by Billy Slater. Instead, Carmichael Hunt ran off to waste his and everyone else's time playing AFL. Mm. And I've never really been able to get behind it because here's the thing, Bungard, Slater is much better than Carmichael Hunt and he was even when even when Carmichael Hunt was the Queensland fullback. Just because you're getting picked ahead of someone in a rep side does not mean you're better than them. And for a case in point, look at every New South Wales origin team ever picked. Queensland don't do it as often, but sometimes they still bugger things up and 08 was one of those. Slater was better than Carmichael Hunt then. Slater is better than Carmichael Hunt now. I'd argue Billy Slater has always been better than Carmichael Hunt. And you know, you could even argue that he's a better cross-board athlete seeing as he won Australia's greatest athlete. Twice. 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 Two-time champ. Well, exactly. They they he won, he won it so comprehensively that they can they canned it. They thought, yeah. well, what's the point? Billy wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Yeah, I mean, this, this all, he's here to eat bananas and and run really fast. And he's all out of bananas. And he's all out of bananas. Yeah. I always liked, I always liked Kay though. I mean, I was, yeah. I was working on a yarn um, earlier today about some a team in the late two thousands, and I just come across a game where they played Brisbane, and Kay absolutely tore him up. This was oh nine, so it was just before he left. 
And it was he just found this really nice middle point of all the things that made him a good player. Like when Kay first came into first grade in 2004 when he was 17, which is absolutely fucking crazy, he had this massive sort of kangaroo sidestep. It was like, it's the most like exaggerated sidestep I've ever seen in my life. It was even bigger than Benji's for a while. And, yep. it sort of, and it was the sort of thing that looked really cool but rarely worked. But when it did work, it looked sick. Mm. After that, he decided, I'm going to put the step away and I'm just going to return kicks like I'm an absolute fucking maniac. And I will run into things so hard that I either kill them or myself. <laughs> he did that for a while and that was awesome. Yep. And then by about 09, when he was at the grand old age of 22, he'd sort of married those two things up quite well. And mm. if he had stayed, it would have been nice to see him push Slater and maybe get a little bit better and maybe really put his stamp on the Queensland fullback job during Slater's injury years. But guess what, Simo? He didn't. He ran off to fist Sharon's like an absolute dickhead. I, I do. It is weird. It's just like, it's. I know that sometimes like generic storm winger number six goes off and plays rugby or whatever, but like for the most part, like we don't really see guys at the top of the sport running off to play other codes anymore. And it is quite a shame because... You know, people. There are people like Simo who genuinely hold that opinion that Carmichael Hunt was more talented than Lily Slater, and and you're right. We'll never really know if he. Well, we never really saw him hit his absolute peak in the sport because I mean, what he was only what 23 when he left he rugby was league. Very young, and he'd already been around a long time. He's still playing yeah. rugby now, and he's pretty good. He's not great, but he's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's funny that it's funny that you say um, no one really goes to rugby anymore because there was it was almost like the red scare of the fifties, like yeah. communism in the early two thousands for about ten years. It was oh my god, rugby's going to get its revenge for a hundred years of league stealing its players, and the Super Rugby team is going to take everyone. Then the French team is going to take everyone. Then the, ja- the Japanese teams are taking everyone, and now we get the last sort of residual bit of it with every time they say to two of us a Sheik or Ponga they say oh would you like to play for the All Blacks they always answer yes playing for the All Blacks would be cool I love the All Blacks mm. everyone says well RTS and Kalen Ponga's shock code switch admission yeah. but it's not going to happen because no. they're two entirely different sports yes. and as both sports become more professional and more uh, specialised it's less likely that we'll see guys jump between them do like we have in the past like Brad Thorne and Sonny Bill might be two of the last ones ever yeah do you also th- I, I would also argue that it's like sort of the I, I, I think that and I, I know rugby league still has a way a long way to go before it catches up to rugby union in terms of the international game but the rugby league international game has come on leaps and bounds, especially since in the last you know three or four years. And whereas on the other side, I mean, I don't think the Wallabies. I mean, I can't speak of the All Blacks. I don't live in New Zealand, but I know I I I don't think the Wallabies have anywhere near as much sort of cultural resonance now with the Australian public as they did even ten years ago. No, they don't. They don't. And a big part of that is they're just not as good. Mm. And a big part of that is because they don't have the players. And a big part of that is because league either nicks the players when they're getting um, to sort of man age, or like 17, 18, 19, mm. or when the players are half decent, they just bugger off to Europe or Japan or France and make a heap of money. So that big grizzly bear of overseas rugby stealing all leagues players has actually come back and bitten rugby much, much harder. And it's interesting you bring up the international game because I know it's hard this year with COVID and all that, whatever, but the rise of Samoa and Tonga and Fiji, how long have we been going? Like five minutes? It took yep. me five minutes to bring up Samoa, Tonga and Fiji. <laughs> That's the sort of thing. The poor that, Cook Islands. Yeah. Not, not even a mention. You're wearing your CNK shirt and everything. I am wearing my CNK shirt. But that's the sort of thing that can really tip the balance in the in sort of the rugby codes. I hate using code war, but the rugby codes conflict. Yeah. Yep. Because if you can if you can give Samoans and Tongans teams that are one competitive, two play regularly, three play regularly against the big teams, like those communities which are pretty split between league and unit, they'll all come over to league. They'll all come home. 
You know what I mean? If you give them something that represents them in the way that the Samoan, Tongan, whatever, union teams never can because they're just never going to have the money. League's flexible eligibility rules have really come to the fore there. Hmm. Yeah, big time. And, and the other thing about, just going back to Carmichael Hunt is, it's like, it, you, do you, and just because I just don't think rugby's had sort of the 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 sort of as I said before, rugby's just nowhere near as popular as it was ten years ago. I can't even really think of any memorable moments he's really had since he switched to the fifteen man sport. I I remember one for AFL when his team was down by like two goals with a minute left and they won. Yeah, and he kicked a goal he after the, the siren. Goal. I remember that. I remember that. I can't really think of anything he's really done in Union that, I can that jumps out. Couple, but I mean, you might know better than but I would. Like they're not standout moments. I won't be talking about them like I talk about game one yeah. of the 2008 Origin Series where he played 5-8 and decided that the time was ripe to try and commit murder on the football field. Yeah. Um, the most memorable thing he probably did in rugby is when he got busted for drugs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, Come back to league, Kay. We'll still have you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, this one is from Bert Andrews. Uh, this one is a lot more serious and a lot more nuanced, so this one might take us a while. Discussion point. Oh, yeah, because we breezed through that K one, <laughs> didn't we? It's true. Uh, NRL players should only be tested for performance-enhancing drugs by the NRL, and testing for recreational drugs should be left to the discretion of the club to which that player is contracted. Uh, notwithstanding the recent furor around the Sam Burgess allegations, is there really any purpose for the NRL testing for recreational drugs but on the notion that players are in the public eye and need to be role models for young children who idolise them? Politicians, film stars, musicians, other folks who encounter similar degrees of public exposure in their chosen vocation face a fraction of the same scrutiny over this issue, if any at all. I don't recall anyone ever suggesting someone piss-test the Wiggles. Why should this degree of scrutiny apply to NRL and other football codes players when consumption of recreational drugs potentially has no bearing on their ability to competently perform their job? And shouldn't it only become an issue if there is some perceptively negative correlation between a player's personal life and their on-field performance? So a very good question, which I guess we can shorten up to, uh, why do we care if footy players do cocaine in the summer? He's kind of answered his own question in there. Because like it or not, and I know this has been a big debate for a long time, footy players are role models. They just are. They're They're in the public eye, and the difference between them politicians and musicians and film stars is footy players have a link to their community that none of those other ones have especially not like especially not politicians rugby league sports people rugby league players and especially are entwined with the grassroots of their community in a way that none of those other professions are as such you do become a role model for young people and i think as a role model you have to you're held to a higher standard and that's just that maybe that's not right maybe it shouldn't be that way but it is that way you know, and I don't think we can ever back away from that. So I think that's why you need to test for for uh, recreational for recreational drugs. I'm not sure you can apply that to all politicians. I know there's a lot of communities where the local member is quite a large part of, of that community. It's probably not the case everywhere. It's certainly not the case for you know, like the Scott Morrisons of the okay. world. But okay. I'm sure there are... okay, fair enough. But it is the case for every footy team. Sure, exactly right. But my counterpoint to that would be. Uh, whilst that could be true, I'm just not sure what we gain from testing them. Like, if we don't, it, it's. I know Donald Trump basically said this. You know, if we it, we're having a lot of positive results because we're having a lot of tests. If we if we take away the tests, we'll take away the positive results. Um, isn't it better if the public just doesn't know about it? If if, if players want to do party drugs in the summer, like, is that really, is that really a big deal? I I still this is just my personal view, but I think I think it is. Mm. I think it is. I think it's. I think it's important to impose standards on some players because if there's not some players will take advantage of being able to do yeah absolutely whatever they want because they're young rich fellas with a lot of time on their hands and you know they're at that age that 
all young fellas go through where it's the time in their lives where some of them get into trouble. I think they, they need boundaries. They need structures. Otherwise, they can just... Otherwise, they'll be able to just run wild and we'll have a league full of Todd Carneys. Like, Let him speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, my counterpoint... Like, I just think that like it's totally fine to test them for everything during the season or whatever. But it's just like... If they're if they're on a holiday in December, like does it, does it really matter? Like, what, do we really care? Should we really be sort of, you know, cut, like sort of scrutinising what a like a twenty three year old pissed up footy player does in well, in his Christmas this, break? This kind of plays into a, a kind of secondary point. What I do hate is now is because of you know the ubiquitous of camera phones and all that sort of thing that if a player is off playing up or something, someone will take like someone will take like, a video like Corey Norman the other week. Or, yeah, and try and sell it to a media outlet. I hate that sort of. I hate that sort of stuff. I think there has to be a happy medium between providing structures and letting them, letting you know, the players live their lives as normal mm. as normal people. So you are saying legalize all drugs? Well, yes, pretty much. Okay, good. All Super right. legalize them. Right. Make them mandatory. Absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah, it, it's a really tricky one. I've always struggled with the idea that athletes are role models, but I think it is more true for team sport athletes like rugby league players than it is for him. I remember getting into like a really long discussion about this in a, in a uni class about Tiger Woods when he had the whole the I mean the first the first sort of crisis mm. he had in the public eye my point was kind of just like someone basically said what you said but they said it about Tiger Woods and I was kind of like Tiger Woods is not a role model for children children do not watch golf Tiger Woods is not <laughs> children do not watch golf that is true yeah like who is Tiger Woods a role model for you need like a license to watch golf accountants yeah yeah and uh like Rich business dudes who yeah. probably thought what he did was pretty cool. Absolutely. So there you go. <laughs> Adultery and drugs, good. Yeah. Golf, bad. Uh, correct. Golf is very bad. I think we can agree on that. Um, good question though, Bert. Um, we gave it less time than we did Carmichael Hunt discuss. But um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot to think about. And it is true. It's like you kind of expect, I mean, certainly musicians and probably movie stars as well to be sort of like just on drugs all the time but like at the same time you you hear those stories about footy players and what and a large chunk of the fan base kind of gets sort of skittish about it mm. and rightfully so maybe i don't know so it's a it's a good question i don't know if that one has a right answer or not i think there's just different points of view um this one will definitely have different points of view it comes from matt coleman it says is link a good boy or is he the devil reincarnate okay i am gonna go with Devil reincarnate. Like, do you disagree? Is this one we can sort of hash? Out? Uh, yeah, I actually do disagree that Link is the devil incarnate. Okay, nice. Yeah. So, if, I mean, everybody listening to this probably knows who Link is. But if they don't, he's my dog. He was the dog that was on um, the TV during COVID. He, his little cardboard cutout was shown at the South Roosters game. He went. He went very viral. He's now basically the official dog of the NRL and Campo and him have been in a feud for some time. Yeah, I hate him. Mm. I can't stand him. And I don't want to. I don't want it to be that way. I love dogs. I'm a dog person from way back. He ran up but... to you today and you told him to fuck off. Do you remember the first time I met him and he ran up to me and bit me? He was right to do it. And do you remember the second time I met him where he bit me again? I'm not real. Like, have you ever asked yourself what never you forgive, did? Never forgive, never forget. Have you ever asked... Don't like, bite me, son. Have you ever reflected on your behavior that led up to that point? I was perfectly lovely. I came up and tried to pat him. Not like, like sure. You, like you are desperate for me to do now. I don't know about that because like, again... Like, uh, what about how you run around saying all the time, oh, Link loves you, Link loves you. What do you want me to do? How can it be my fault if you're trying to bring me back into the fold? Mm. Clearly, I am the wronged party in this equation. I don't think so. Yeah, of course you wouldn't think so. You think the sun shines out of his ass, the sun shines out of his ass mate. Yes. Um, but, I mean, you've seen firsthand, though, just how much better he makes people's days when we take him somewhere. 
Yeah, that's true. That was a that will this the thing is I am losing this feud. Like I'm man enough to admit that. I am getting absolutely smashed. And I yeah, I think I I think I've lost every battle we've ever had, but I keep fighting. That's the important thing. But the thing was, me and Bungard, it was probably about a year ago now, I had the day off work and so did he, so I just called him up and I said, Let's hang out. So I came over to his joint and he goes, Oh yeah, um, let's go down and get a coffee or something at the cafe near my house. I said, Yeah, sweet. And he sort of hooked Link up to the lead and he said, Now Campo, be ready. Chicks love Link. All right, so just get ready for that. And I was like, yeah, right on, mate, whatever. Yeah, Chicks Love Link. Okay, sure, whatever. Turns out Chicks Love Link. Mm. I think we got stopped like four or five times. A woman at the, the cafe yeah, asked to take a photo of him. On the 200 meter walk. For the cafe's official by Instagram. By like very attractive girls. And yeah. then the chick at the cafe wanted a photo with him. And I think we got stopped twice on the way back. It yeah. was pretty incredible. I mean, this, this boy, he, he is a head turner. He is. He's a walk stopper. Yeah, he is. He's a gamer. He is. Um, and like you know, I, I, I don't respect him, but I respect him as a foe. And you have to, uh, you have to acknowledge that a lesser dog would not have been featured front and center by the cameraman on that South Roosters. Game. I don't know. I think that you may have bribed the staff at Bank West Stadium to get his cardboard like front and center, like in the front. <laughs> Do you think I, I have I, that cachet? Yes. Oh, thank you. Well, I think you have that cash. Mm. The cachet, maybe not as much. Yeah. Well, hey, if if you, if um. If I've got twenty dollars to spend on a dog cat out, I've got money for anything, right? <laughs> that was probably the best thing that came out of that was that guy that was being incredible. an absolute lunatic. Like everyone on Twitter is like deeply disturbed, but that guy is the most crazy. Yeah, people miss this. This was a guy that like called me like a Marxist and like a what was it, journalist elite or something yeah. because like I paid 20 bucks for my dog. That's the thing I don't get. People who think journalists are like cultural elites, none of us make any money. No. <laughs> the big dogs who are all over like 60, they make money. People like me and Bungard, we don't make shit. No, that's true. Um, but anyway, a, a lot of good points made on, on the link one. I like that you, I like that you <laughs> respect his moxie. Well, you know, it's, you his, it's his it. one redeeming quality. Yeah. Uh, also, he's very cute. All right. Uh, another question from Matt Coleman. Um, which of the following moves are legal in the game of Uno? Draw two on draw two. Draw okay, four okay. on draw why don't two. You, why don't you read out the move and then okay. we'll say if it's legal all right. or not. All right, all right. Draw two on draw two. That is acceptable. Agreed. Draw four on draw two. Unacceptable. Agreed. Yeah. Wait, no, no, no. Draw four on draw two is fine. No, 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 no. Stack those boys up. No, you can't. All right, we'll, get, we'll come back to this. Draw four on draw four. That's okay. Also fine. Draw two on draw four. That is not kosher. Not allowed. You can't, you can't stack a smaller... You can't stack a smaller draw on mate, a draw I'll, four. I'll go, I'll go but I'll you, fight you to no, the you death that you can put a draw four no, on a draw mate, two. You can't, you can't mix them. Of course you can. You can't mix the races of cards. Mm. <laughs> um, the Camden you shining keep, out you of gotta you. You've got to keep, you keep um, it straight, man. Yep. A two can go on a two, a four can go on a four, but never the two shall meet. No, twos can go, uh, fours can go on twos, twos can knock Where's go on Where's the fours. logic in that? They're two completely different caliber of card. It's like saying you, you, it's like saying that you can nullify a reverse with a skip. They're from two different worlds. No, no, no. It's like saying that something that's more powerful can be put on top of the lesser unit. There are two completely different categories. Mm. You wouldn't have a baseball team play a cricket team. No, but it's it's like if someone hits a double and then I hit a home run, we get two runs. Thank you for exactly proving my point. No, you can't. But you can't defeat the double by hitting a home run. You get both. No. Yes, no, you get no, both. No, Correct. No. You stack them on top of each no, other. No, no, no. There's two. It's Whereas, two completely different things, man. Yeah. It's two completely different things. You can't have you can't have two fullbacks. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's not the same thing at all. Yeah, right. Actually, the baseball the baseball metaphor was very good. I mean, I do love it when you prove my points for me. It's quite helpful. You're kidding? No, you can't do it. You can't mix them. Absolutely, it's, it's an can. affront to the laws of man and God alike. Uh, Colin also said that he does not agree with draw four on draw four. Yeah, well, Colin, you know, he's got his own thing. And he agreed with us well. that draw two on draw four. Um, that one wasn't long enough to be an official 
talking point. So let's just uh, we'll we'll do three more on this podcast. We'll do a couple more for the patrons, and then we'll jump into a question time podcast afterwards. And if you do want to support us, that is patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. This question comes from Michael Gregson: Which Star Wars trilogy was worse? The prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy? I think this is one where we will differ. I think we will. Are you? What? What? Are you, what which one did you like more? The prequels. Okay. The prequels have a very special place in my heart because I was the exact right age when they came out. Like episode one was the first movie I saw in the cinema, and I watched those movies a lot as a kid. Yeah. But when I watch them now as an adult, like they still have a bit of charm for me because I have such fond memories. But they are bad movies. Mm. Like they've got good stuff in them. I don't think Revenge of the Sith is movies. a bad movie. I think it is, mm. and I think, but I think you can, I think you can tell that by that point, Lucas had just completely lost all interest in directing whatsoever, and all he wanted to do was be on his computer and do his little special effects things. So I think there's a good movie in three, yep. but it just gets kind of lost. Same with one, it just needs a little bit of tidying up, but no one's going to tidy it up because he was George Lucas and he was going to make everyone trillions of dollars by making a new Star Wars. Attack of the Clones is just bad, apart from like Django Fett. It's not a great movie. It's just bad. It, it is not a great movie, and yet it is substantially better than Episodes 8 and 9. Okay, well, here's the thing. I actually think Episode 8 is awesome. I'm it is probably guys. the thing we most disagree on, so I'm, I'm really glad that Sean's brought this guys. question I th- up. I think Seven is all right. But it's it was it's never been the same for me since I watched eight because seven just sort of apes a new hope yeah. a fair bit and it yeah. just goes through the same beats and all that and that was fine and it's fine that was that was fine that yeah. was fine and there's some cool stuff in there and it's like oh wow Han's back oh wow Leia's back oh Chewie's back you know Kylo Ren's right. pretty cool yeah sure whatever yeah. Nine is disgusting. Nine's awful. I'm, nine, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can just we throw can. all that shit Because this out. is the problem. Whether you think eight or nine... Sorry, whether you think eight was good or bad, we can agree, we that, can agree that they took sucks. it in a direction. Yeah. And then, basically, as a result of criticism from primarily neckbeards on Reddit... They catted it. They got rid of everything that they built they up in it. eight and just tore, and so, tore it all down. But here's the thing. What I like... That I'm, eight's not perfect. There's bad stuff in eight. Leia flying through space is really stupid. The thing on the casino planet kind of sucks mm. but there is great stuff in eight the the kylo ren ray stuff in eight is fabulous i think it's some of the best stuff in any of the three trilogies like, i'll put that up against absolutely pretty much all the scenes with ray in them i like yeah. and pretty much the rest of the movie i don't like like, well, like the, the the all the stuff that happens on snoke shit like the throne room with the red background and the guards with the weird joining lightsabers and all that i think that is all just Awesome. The hold on maneuver where they go into hyperspace and like fuck up um, mm. Snoke's ship. That's tight. The battle on the salt planet where they're in those speeders and they have the red lines trailing behind them. That's all awesome. Um, the, the 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 scene where Luke appears and it turns out he's force projecting and then he becomes one with the force. Yeah, that's and you see cool. the twin suns like on Tatooine and it plays his theme music from episode four. That is tight. Yep. I oh man, I really, really dug it, and I felt like Ryan Johnson had a better handle on what made a good Star Wars movie more than JJ My Abrams did. My opinion on Eight grew after watching it again. Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, I I liked it more the second time around, but I still just the the bit where the bit where Rose s- stops Finn from dying a hero's death just pisses me off so much. It's such a cringeworthy scene that doesn't feel like it belongs in a Star Wars movie by saving what we love. It's fucking awful. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that. I liked the. It, it would have been better if he just died, yeah. if he just went in and carked it, but I don't think they were ready for that sort no. of thing. And I get the spirit of what they were talking about there, and it could have set up an interesting thing with Rose But then she just Ray wasn't in the third movie at all. <laughs> and have all that, and like a love triangle thing, that's yeah. always fun, but instead, 
you know, all the dickheads that live in their parents' basements fired yep. up because, you know, yep. an Asian chick was in there doing stuff. Like, yeah, they I didn't like it. I don't know what they were um, off But then, it. here's the other thing, though. If you count, obviously, we're not counting them, but if you count Rogue One... In that, then I would ha- yeah. probably have to flip because Rogue One's the Rogue best One, of Rogue the One's new tight. Star Wars movies for me by a mile. I didn't hate Solo either. This but- is a this is a, a very long winded way of me saying that I prefer the sequel trilogy because I think the Last Jedi is significantly better than the other five movies that we're discussing here. I don't, I don't think it's I think I think it's probably the I, I I don't know I think Nine is just so much worse than all the others. Yeah, Nine is pretty shit ass. And um. And Revenge of the Sith has the, the final fight scene in Revenge of the Sith is so oh, mate, so goddamn yeah. good. Oh, dude, like like I said, there's good stuff in yeah. all three of those first ones. Like, yeah. It, and what, what I think what kind of happened is for those first three for the original Tridge, mm. Lucas had enough people around him that when he had something that was kind of stupid, people could pull back on it. Like if in 1977 he said, you know what, I'm going to make the key thing of this movie uh, taxation of trade routes. Someone would have sat in there and said, well, no, George, that's kind of stupid. Like, why don't you just take stuff from samurai movies and westerns and put it in space? That'll work. You know what I'm saying? Like, people that are watching The Mandalorian now, I know you haven't watched heaps of it. So I've watched the first season. I haven't, just, I haven't watched the second season yet. But that is that is awesome because that is what works about Star it's Wars. Dope. What J.J. Abrams thinks works about Star Wars is just aping and recreating the things from yeah. the first movies. But what actually works is what I just said before. Western shit and, cowboy and samurai shit but in space. Plus, I gave Ryan Johnson more points after I saw Knives Out. Well, <laughs> naturally. Naturally. <laughs> what a goddamn movie. All right. Um, this is a really good one. Um, and I'll let you go first. I'm sure... Uh, try and keep it to as few answers as you can, but it comes from Mitchell Smith, and it's which rugby league player changed the game the most since you've been a fan? Oh, wow. He that said, Benji, Cam, question. someone else. Okay. Okay. Well, I think Benji really... I don't know. I don't know if Benji changed things, but Benji definitely sort of started something of an archetype, which is that uh, Kiwi half whose running game is his best asset and has really light, fast feet. Does Sean Johnson so, exist without Benji Marshall? Well, yeah, like Sean Johnson is 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 an antecedent of that, and yeah. and and you can see it even now with someone like Jerome Luai and guys like Anthony Milford as well. You can really see how that kind of trickles down. I'm not sure if Cam Smith changed the game so much as was kind of the other way. He's kind of like the final evolution that starts back with someone like Benny Elias in yep. the early 80s. Like Benny Elias was one of the first hookers who was not a scrummager mm-hmm. or any of that sort of stupid shit, but like who could pass the ball and had great skills and like probably would have been a halfback 10 yeah. years before. And then you can you can trace a line from Ben Elias onto Steve Walters, onto Jeff Toovey, onto Danny Badiris. And then Cameron Smith is kind of the final evolution. Like he's like the idealized version of that sort of yeah. skillful hooker. The one that's changed the game the most. It's tough, right? Because you, like Andrew John's greatest greatest halfback to ever do it. But like, did he change the? He didn't really change the way halfbacks played rugby league, did he? Darren Lock. No, well, I, I Darren Lockyer, think, I think, is a better shout than Andrew Johns for yeah, this. See, for this, Lockyer, Lockyer, maybe. I think we talk like I know there's a lot of talk all the time about Lockyer and Slater as 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 fullbacks, and I think yeah. Lockyer definitely changed things in that he was a fullback, but he was also an extra half. And he, but he wasn't a ball playing fullback as we know them today. So I'm, I've got I've got two answers for you, okay. and it, it's because of the way the game is played before them and after them. I think it's Cooper Cronk, and I think it's Billy Slater. And the reason is, every single team in rugby league now 
Like, they all do different things. But at their core, they all kind of attack the same way. I'm just really annoyed because Billy Slater was my answer too. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, but, I'll do Crom. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Every, every team kind of attacks the same way. Like, the first receiver digs into the line, has a flat runner and someone out the back, and he goes out the back. And there's variations on that. But that is like the, the foundational thing of every single attacking pattern in the NRL. And the guys that's like Bennett started that at Brisbane with Bellamy. I think mm. they sort of cooked it up together in the early 2000s. And then when Cronk became Bellamy's halfback in 2006, because as we all know, Cronk was a manufactured halfback at the start. Yeah. That was how, that was how Bellamy sort of got him there. He really broke things down. So it wasn't it wasn't like with Langer or Stewart or Johns where they were the on-field general and they're the, the organiser, but it was a lot more sort of, maybe a lot more loose. Yeah. Bellamy gave Cronk really strict, specific structures to, to base his game on. And from there, Cronk turned into the greatest probably organiser of the last 20 years. As such, everyone started to play the same way as Melbourne did. And it just sort of went on from there, from there, from there. And now everyone does that. Everybody, every single halfback, is modelled on, on 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 Cooper Cronk and, and the way he plays and the way he he came up. Yeah. So I, that that's that's probably where I'm landing. That's a good. It, it's it's an interesting one though because quite a lot of people still just dismiss him and his legacy in the game, which is obviously insane. But like, well, I, I there are still time, people that think he's not fit enough to lace Jonathan Thurston's boots. I remember a time not that long ago when you said Adam Reynolds was better than him. Yeah, I just, I've always said that. And I'm always going to keep saying that. It's like how you say that, like, um. Jared Croker's like a rep quality center. I mean, we just believe things that we know aren't true. We do just believe things. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's all, it's almost like um, Thurston is is almost inimitable. Someone like that can't be replicated. You see Kronk play, and I think people watch that and think, well, we can't get someone that plays like that, but we can develop the structures that he has around him. Yeah. You know, we can we can take that pattern that Kronk puts on the game and apply it to ourselves because that's something that you Yeah, can, Kronk's like, that's a, something you Kronk's like Aaron so, Rodgers and yeah. and Thurston's like a Patrick Mahomes. That's kind of how Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a that's a good parallel. That's a good parallel. You know, Kronk Kronk is a player who was created via perfection through practice. The thing about practice is practice can be replicated. You know, it probably it'll probably never be replicated as well as Kronk because Kronk is a unfeeling human cyborg with yeah. a unbreakable indomitable will that is solely focused on winning but yeah. you can look at that and try and apply it to your own players why do you think Slater changed and it? you might be right as well because like most of what made Kronk great was in his head and it, it wasn't really didn't really all it, not a lot of it came just through sheer like physical ability and athletic mm. talent as oh, Billy Slater everything, everything Kronk the two time Australia's greatest athlete yeah. <laughs> everything um, Kronk was yeah. he built himself to be which is kind of why I would probably lean towards Slater just because like you're right in that teams try to look at what Kronk became for the Storm and they try to copy that. Whereas, like, you're not going to find another Billy Slater. They simply don't exist. Like, most guys who are of his size playing fullback, like, guy, like you know, when, when the when the Dragons chucked Dufty back there and stuff, they just kind of just get folded in half. They don't they don't have the, the combination of, like, agility, guile, and power running, as well as the ability to just be, like, the great... By him, Brett Stewart, Nathan Merritt, but he's first. The three, no, I'm serious. The three best support players I've ever seen, but he's number one by distance. I just like to have that unique mix of sort of game instincts to know where to be all the time and also to be the two time Australia's greatest athlete. 
It's just like it's not something we're going to see again. It's kind of unfair in a lot of ways. It's like if you if you you always hear about guys they go oh he's got a great football brain and then there are guys like Cronk and Smith who have basically made their whole career on being smarter than everybody else. But you had Billy Slater who was smart. And, you know, there was rules brought in because he was such a fucking cheat when other player teams tried to score with his feet and stuff. And you had a mixture of that and also this ridiculous level of athletic talent. And I am still, obviously, because I'm biased because I'm a South fan, I'm still not ever going to admit that he was better than Greg Inglis. But he was certainly a more unique player than Greg Inglis in the sense that... See, I would say Inglis was more unique than Slater. No, because Inglis is just a prototype of, like, everything that's good. Like, if you you were creating, like, the perfect... I would say that James Tedesco is closer to Billy Slater than anyone is to Greg Inglis or anyone ever has been. So to me, Inglis is the singular talent. Inglis is an athlete that comes uh, You seem to be forgetting once in a the next Greg Inglis, Alex Johnston. Well, of course. So you've embarrassed as yourself I, As there. I often do. <laughs> but no, but what I mean by that is like, I agree that like, we've never seen an athlete at the level of Inglis. Maybe Jared Hayne on a good day, but even then, probably well, the only, not. The only guy but, I'd put in the same category as an athlete is Tal Malolo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair. And, and it's a completely different exactly. sort of thing. But like, what I'm saying to you is like, if we were starting like... Pretend there was a good rugby league video game, and and you were starting like you were like building rugby a- league on Xbox, two thousand and three. <laughs> It'll come down with snow on it. Um, <laughs> These you know, are if, making me thirsty. If you if you were to like build a prototypical rugby league player that could play multiple positions, would be big, strong, skillful, all that. He'd look like Greg Inglis, mm. and just because there's, I, and I know there aren't any other Greg Inglises out there, really. Inglai, but Greg Inglai. Inglai, sorry, like that's that is kind of like the vision you would have. Whereas, like, no one would look at Billy Slater when he came into first grade and be like, that guy's going to change the game. Like, people knew, watching Greg Inglis in high school, watching him, like, make... Watching him just be... Ten- like, you go back and watch those Q-Cup hearts yeah, of Inglis. Shouts, uh, shouts to my boy Niles, who's always chucking that uh, Greg Inglis. Like, I think it's like 2004 or yeah. five. He's, like, 19 playing for Brisbane North. And, and just he's just taking dudes. the piss against yeah. grown men. And it's yeah. just like... Well, I think, I think like, like, just circling back, yeah. I think the reason that Slater changed it so much is as a secondary thing to Cronk. Slater was sort of perfected those being that sweet runner and, yeah. and having the the fullback being a, being a ball player. It kind of maybe he... it was probably invented with with Lockyer, but again, Lockyer is a singular talent. You can't go you can't go down the shops and buy another Darren Lockyer. No, but you can look at the way at the way Slater sort of chimed into the attack as as that third receiver mm. and apply that to your own team. You can have your own fullback do that. And then you just need to find a fullback that can pass a little bit. And he won't do it as well as Slater because Slater was really good at it. But he can he can do it a little bit. And now every fullback does that to some extent. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it, the, the, those two have had such, a, such a, a structural impact on the way rugby league's played. There are other guys that maybe a little bit before my time, like Noan Andruka, who's the first Fijian winger. Now there's a thousand Fijian wingers. That's a big one. Olsen Filipana, who came over in the 1980s. He was one of the first really high-profile yeah. um, Pacific Islander Greg players. Greg Smith. So that's a huge one. Greg Smith that opened the um, well-trodden NFL to NRL pipeline. Yep. That's a good question, though. I liked it. Yeah, it was really good. I, I just I was also trying to rack my brain. Like, I couldn't really settle on one single answer, but like we've sort of seen the rise of that ball-playing edge back rower in the last 10 to 15 years. So like players like Felitti Mateo, John Sutton, Dave Taylor, guys like that. I wouldn't say they changed the game to... to to anywhere near the same extent, I think, but I think, I think that, they so, didn't really exist ten years before that. They didn't, but ten years before that, they kind of did. Mm. You know what I mean? That's I think that's more of a cyclical thing. They went yep. like there used to be a lot of ball playing forwards, and then there were none, and then some sort of came back into it. Yeah, you know? and it is interesting, sort of like the para- a lot of the things that a lot a lot of the things that Stewart and Slater both did well, and they it just isn't it. Do you, 
do you ever wonder sort of how much one affected the other in terms of their play styles? Because they did sort of come up at roughly the same time. I think it was really good for Slater to have someone as good as Stewart pushing him all the time. Because in another era, Brett Stewart is the Australian fullback for five years. Easy. Easy. Brett Stewart was awesome. Like, people kind of sleep on how good they Brett do. Stewart was. Brett Stewart was, was sick. Brett Stewart was absolutely fabulous. Even though he lost a couple of years to his career um, to to bad knee injuries, he came back from that, was still a top was still a top class player. I think that's a that's a big part of it for Slater, having someone that if Slater slipped, like if he took a step down, Stewart was going to come along and take his lunch. Like, no worries. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, we'll do probably one more on this pod and then we'll do a couple of bonus ones for people on Patreon and then we'll leave the rest for the Question Time podcast after this. So again, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, sorry, if you want to hear those bonus uh, sort of tidbits, it'll be uh, patreon.com forward slash rookies at some point in the next couple of days. But we'll go with one more uh, here. This comes from John and it says, why aren't the players that are proven to be aware of receiving out of salary cap payments punished? To me, it's almost the same as match fixing situation, but it's become taboo to bring up players being punished for salary cap rorts. He said, yes, I know that not every player who plays for clubs that are over knows what's happening, but when players are receiving paper bags, etc., they know what's going on, in my opinion. It's an interesting question and I well, he's obviously talking about Cameron Smith here. Yeah. They don't actually get paper bags full of cash. What if they did, though? If they, if they did, then that would be something else entirely. Greg English just got a new boat every week. He didn't really question every, it. <laughs> every day he got a new boat. Every day he would get a new boat, and at the end of the day, he would light that boat on fire. <laughs> he, it, was, it was a one-use boat. They were disposable boats. This one's dirty. Get yeah. me a new boat. Oh, look, I, I, think, I think what John is underestimating is how complex a lot of NRL player contracts are. Like how many clauses they have. Like if you get you get a certain amount of money for playing this many games or this many first grade games, or you get this many win bonuses, or you lose this much if you lose games and all that. And I think it's also underestimating how many NRL players don't really have a good handle on their own contracts or what precisely they're earning. That's why they have agents. That's why they have managers to handle that sort of that sort of stuff. You know, because like let's 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 not muck around here they're not they're not playing footy because they're great at maths or they're great at managing their finances they employ people to do that and they employ people to get them as much money as possible i i would imagine that managers and managers and agents would have a much better handle on what a bloke is getting paid when he's and when he's getting paid yeah than the players themselves usually would if we can slightly deviate from his question um maybe make it to one that we can discuss a little bit more because you know we we simply don't know how much Cameron Smith knew or how much Greg or any of that. we don't know how much those guys knew we we've got to assume they knew something but we don't know but what we do know is that like Cameron Smith sort of you know he's come to the end of his time at the storm and there's all this retrospective about what a great player was and of course it's completely deserved but he's right in the sense that Everyone talks about how many games he's played, how many games he's won, all the success, blah, blah, blah. And we don't really talk about those two premiership years that were stripped and those four, oh, no, three or four I, years that were played. I disagree, dude. People talk about it all the time. It's the first thing anyone mentions when Smith... Or first thing's talking to the referee. Maybe I'm just following the, the, second, the right people the sec- who don't... The second thing, the second thing is, is, the, is the salary cap stuff. It, it is still brought ab- ad nauseum, even though more of his career has happened since then than happened during the salary cap years or even if you add in the before the salary cap years. Like it was a terrible, it was a bad thing that Melbourne did, but you know, at some point we gotta, we got, we gotta move on. Because even if you took away those four years, his resume is still pretty close to unimpeachable. You know, and I know people don't like him, I know people hate him. That's kind of just how it is. You can't escape that, you know. Yeah, but uh, is it is it just one of those things that can't you can't really escape from, no matter how how long you play on afterwards? I mean, like, I mean, if I was a Parramatta fan, you know, like 
given that they've not won a comp since 1986, I'd still be pretty filthy about it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'd feel different if it, if they'd beaten one of my teams in, in the grand final or something. But I don't know, man. You look at other big Sari cap things in history. The Raiders were well over the cap when they won in 1990 and were lucky not to get it stripped. They were probably over in 89 when they won as well. You know, the dogs, no, no one really fires up about the dogs. Maybe it's because Melbourne went on and won the comp, but they took those comps away from them. So, I don't know. It's it's not something I've ever really understood, the lingering bitterness over the Sari Cap stuff. They got punished. They got hit pretty hard. Mm. And they, at least, unlike the Bulldogs, actually lost, like, good players. Like, they lost Greg Inglis. Yeah. The Bulldogs signed Andrew Ryan when they got caught <laughs> cheating the Sari Cap. <laughs> it's, like, a little bit different. Uh, all right, should we do one more? Yeah, one let's more. do one more. One more, one more one for the more. punters. But then after that, you have to pay. <laughs> First <laughs> right. taste is free. Yeah, we got from uh, Michael Langridge. As the timeline goes, New South government and the NRL had an agreement about the grand final that was part of the ANZ Rebuild Stadium, which is now not happening. Uh, Peter Volandes wants $800 million for suburban grounds. I think he will get way less, and even that is a poor spend of public money. Were you in favour of the original proposal? What do you think the end game here is, and where does it place those clubs that don't play at modern venues in the short, medium, and long term? All right. Well, first of all, I, I well, the A and Z thing is complicated because, like, anyone who's gone there to watch footy would tell you that it's not really a stadium that's like accommodating to rugby league in its current capacity. Like, it, it's better than it was, you know, when it opened, but it's not. It's still. It, the plans to sort of make the seats a lot higher and closer to the field was one that I was in favour of. I thought it would really improve the stadium I was too, as but, a viewer. But the biggest problem with ANZ isn't the way it's laid out. It's, it's how to get it's there. It's where it is. Yep. Like, it is just out in the middle of bloody nowhere. Which would be fine if we lived in a place with a competent, you know, public transport network. But, but we, we do don't. Not. We do not. There's one train in and out. It runs irregularly. It absolutely. It, it is an absolute that pain platform in the, after, that's the wor- That's the worst part. Is there a worse feeling than... Trying to navigate. I mean, you would have experienced after the grand final, like the trying to navigate that platform after your team has lost a game at ANZ Stadium. I stayed at ANZ until the trains had stopped. Jesus, just so I didn't have to endure it. That's I, fair. I, I, had, I had copped enough pain that yep. that night, and and rightly so because it's just it's just a pointless ordeal. It sucks. It sucks. That's the biggest problem with 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 ANZ, with ANZ Stadium. I I, do, I I don't know what the alternative would be though because if they are going to redevelop and redevelop it instead of knocking it down, if they were to knock it down, mm. like. Where do you put the where do you put the new stadium? That's the tough part with Sydney. Sydney's so big and weird yeah. and fractured that there's no one centralized spot. Like not like Melbourne where they just smash they smash these they, they every everything is out of these two stadiums and they're relatively easy to get to for They're just, both so easy to get to. Just about yeah. everyone. So that's how it works. Sydney's just too big and wide and, and weird and scattered that even if even if they just done up the new Sydney football stadium to have 70,000 and become the new home of the game, it probably still wouldn't fix things because yeah. that's still not easy to get to. Man, my dream was that where they built the new convention centre in Darling Harbour was just put a stadium there. It'd be very what? picturesque. It would the be best so idea I have, I ever heard, um, and it's not feasible at all, it's absolutely impossible. Dan Ganane used to throw this one around. If they built a stadium on Prince Alfred Park right next to Central, yes. like so you're, you're walking distance from from just about, well, not from everywhere, but you're walking distance from enough sort of pubs and all that that you can have a really good atmosphere in the city on game day. It's called Central for a reason. There's a way there for everybody. But you haven't thought of whether this would gentrify the Aurora. Well, the Aurora would become the new home of rugby league. So well, what's the problem in. with that? The gentrification camp, though. Well, I, I just want to go there and drink a quiet VB and get harassed by some old codgers from time to time. 
Well, look, we've all got to make sacrifices. I guess. But we're sacrificing a lot. And then one day we can become the old oh, Hodges. Well, that's, that. that's my and dream, that's, really. That's the dream. But yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, just it, it's just, yeah, the, ANZ in its current state um, is just, yeah, it, it's just a punish to get to. I don't enjoy it um, at all. Yeah, I understand, I understand what they're going for with redeveloping suburban grounds. And I, I probably, this is probably against the official party line of the show, but I really like suburban grounds. I really like Leichhardt. I really like Campbelltown and all that. But that's those grounds are the game's past, not the game's future. And just because it's part of the past doesn't mean you have to get rid of it. I think there's always going to be a place for that in rugby league. But if we're being real, Manly shouldn't be playing out of Manly for the next 50 years. The ground's just not fertile enough. The Sharks shouldn't be playing out of Cronulla for the next 50 years. Again, there's just not enough room and scope to grow. So if you chuck... I don't even know how much how much how much does a stadium cost to 20, twenty bucks? What yeah, yeah, like ten bucks or something. Yeah. You chuck that ten bucks on Shark Park or whatever, and you fix it up real real nice. Like it's it's great, but is it going to get more fans through the gate? No, like, and plus the when they're in ha- when they're the in Perth in five enough, years, it's just an empty stadium. Yeah, do the Sharks so. have enough? Ha- will will that stadium bring enough new fans to the Sharks to sort of justify that investment? I'm not sure. They can all get fixed up a little bit. Yeah, but part of the charm of somewhere like Leichhardt is that it's kind of shitty. It is. So I kind of. I kind of. I only like, like it. going there when we go to watch New South Wales Cup games, though. When there's no one there, it's much better. I, I don't really I, like I, going there to watch first grade games when it's full and you can't see anything. I don't know. I still kind of like it. Mm. I still kind of like that it. game we went to. Was that Gold Coast Titans Tigers game? Didn't Ryan James score two tries? Possibly. Good day. Possibly. Um, but one, of, one of one of Josh Reynolds, uh, a rare Josh Reynolds sighting yep, that day in the wild. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's a weird one. It, I just I get so um, hesitant when anyone in rugby league uses the word investment in this context okay. because it's just like it's just not like you're right. Like you you're completely right, and it, it, they're not investments. They're 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 not. That we're not going to make money. There's never going to be a positive return. Is, Our, it, it, it just isn't. It, it's something you need to do to keep the game going. It's yeah. not, it's the right thing to do, this, this but it's is, not an investment of any is, kind. This is kind of the touching on what you guys talked about last week when Pythago was on and you were talking about the Wolfpack. Rugby League is obsessed with preserving its past and going, maybe not preserving its past, but it's obsessed with going back to its past, going back to to some mythical, idealised time, the before time, when everything was great and everything was perfect and we didn't have any of the troubles that we have now. And it's like, that time never really existed. You've built that up in your mind to be what that was. There was never a time when you were getting 20,000 at Leichhardt every week. You go back and look at the crowd numbers. In even like going back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, Balmain are getting 5,000 people there a week. You know, You're not getting much more at Cogger. You're not getting much more at Brookie. And Rugby League has a decision to make. What kind of sport... Does it want to be? Does it want to be a suburban sport? Or does it want to be a national sport, an international sport? But I think they're terrified of leaving that suburban past behind because the only time they ever did that before was Super League and that nearly ripped the sport apart. Yep. It took 20 years for the sport to recover from that. Yep. So I think, that's the, I think that's the really tough part. Rugby League, is, is it's constantly fighting between what it wants to be and what it can be and what it has been. It's just getting pulled in all these different directions. And the stadium policy is a great example of that. You know, I would, I would love it if they were a bit more expansive about it i'd love it if they really committed to expansion to maybe relocating one or two of the sydney clubs but i just until someone is on death's door they won't do it you know what i mean they will yeah. cling to these i mean that's a t- i mean mitch and i have clashed on this every time it's come up because he goes for a club that's not in sydney and i do and i have the experience of losing my club as my copy of george pickens never say die sits next to you on the, on my couch yeah. like, and it sucks and i wouldn't wish it upon no anyone, i wouldn't but... wish it on my worst enemy well maybe my worst enemy yeah 
But uh, yeah, not, I wouldn't wish it on many people at all. That's nice of you. All right. Well, we have come to the end of uh, our every grievances. We disagreed on some things, but we agreed on some things as well. So um, we'll have there to. You go. At the end of the day, it was all about the friends we made along the way. It was. Um, yeah, you got anything, any big sort of North Sydney Bears-esque projects coming up in the pipeline? No, or? no, I've been a lot, on a lot more sort of day-to-day stuff this year. So mm. if you buy the Telegraph most days, I'll probably have something Don't in there. If you see it's one of my stories online or something, please subscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe several mm. times. Yeah. Um, tell your friends about me, um, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Big me up. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, I, and, and by agree, I mean don't support the Daily Telegraph in any way. Or, or just give me money directly. That's like, actually fine. Yeah, stuff, please. Like, do me, me a favor. Cancel your Daily Telegraph subscription. Give Campo money, and then he'll send you his articles in a, in a Word I'll send document. you my password, and then you can just... Like, yeah. And we can all just be kicking it. It'll be great. That's actually a lot better. I can get on board yeah, with that. Yeah, but like, and I can't stress this enough. Give me money. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. Say goodbye. Bye. And it's goodbye from me.